This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. And now, from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is The Process on Business Radio, offering guidance and insight into the college admissions process. Here is your host, Dean of Admissions, Eric J. Ferda. Because we are here to save you today. Hello and welcome to The Process on Sirius XM's business radio powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Eric Ferda, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania and a graduate of the class of 87. Broadcasting live today from the University of Pennsylvania's campus here in Philadelphia. And I'm joined, as always, by my partner in The Process, Eileen cunningham Bikins, who is the Director of College Counseling at the Dwight Englewood School. Hi, Eileen. Hey, Eric. How are you doing? Doing well. How Good. was your evening last night when you saw students from Dwight Englewood? I had the best time last night. I had about 10 alums from Dwight Englewood join me for dinner at Pod. We had a fabulous Little time. Little Steven Star plug there. It was great. It was great. And what was the most rewarding aspect of it was seeing how they were interacting and supporting each other and how welcoming they were of any current high school students at Dwight to contact them to ask them questions about their experience here at Penn. So it was a, a really great feel-good evening. Which is a great cue for the process, which revolves around the journey of the college admissions process, but then also transitions in how to make the most of the experience once you're actually on a college campus. Today we're going to differentiate and talk about how to differentiate yourself in the college application process. But Eileen, we can't do this just together, can we? No, we need some help. We need some calls. 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. We also have Dana and Danielle in the booth. So if you want to tweet at bizradio111, you know, just get active on social media. But if you're driving, please pull over. So we're going to talk about how to differentiate yourself in the college application process. And we have a number of guests today, one of whom is in the studio with us. David Charlow is with us again in the studio. He's called in a number of times as well. David is a financial aid expert and the co-founder of AccessApplied.com, a company that provides information and support for high school counseling offices and other professionals that help families figure out how to find colleges and pay for them. David, great to have you in the studio. Great to be here. So I, I know the other day you had a couple of webinars to help community-based organizations think about how to fill out the free application for federal student aid. How, how did that go, and what were some of the questions that you heard? Uh, well, they went really well, and it, it's now time for seniors and those to support parents and students in the senior year to be thinking as much about the financial aid application deadlines as they are about the admissions deadlines. So October 1st uh, came and went recently, and the FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid, is live um, as is the CI CSS profile form, which is required by many private colleges. Does that go live on the same day? Are they both October well, they 1? They both or? go live October 1. And My birthday. It's a very important day of the it year. It is. I think that's why they, um, they go live <laughs> Happy on, belated. On, on, on that day. Um, but uh, for um, students in particular that are applying early decision or early action, uh, November 1st or November 15th, uh, it's time to pay attention to these forms because they may be due um, as well as the admissions application. And there are changes to both forms, actually. The uh, IRS data retrieval feature is back after a big hack last year. They had to bring it down uh, as part of the FAFSA process. And it's a little different because there's a lot more security and you pull your data in the same way, but you can't see it 
can't see what you're pulling in. So it's a little confusing for families. And on the college board side with the profile, there's no longer a separate non-custodial parent mm-hmm. form uh, for schools that require uh, information for both parents. So they, they both parents, non-custodial and custodial, have to fill out the regular profile. So some pretty big changes this year on the financial aid front for seniors. And that certainly has an impact on family dynamics when you're talking about some of these questions. And given that we already brought up deadlines, knowing that we have a broad listenership and that people can help out others that have been impacted by natural disasters uh, throughout the United States, uh, earthquake in Mexico City, and certainly everything that has taken place in, in Puerto Rico, I think this is a time for us to say that don't worry about at least admission deadlines, November 1 deadlines for early decision or early action. If that's just not fitting within your plan and so many students are displaced right now, we shouldn't have added pressure over the college admission process. If schools want to get documents to us for early decision, we can go up until about November the 10th. Otherwise, I would just say apply regular decision if that's even in the plans this year. I've spoken to a number of families that because of their disruptions, they may be looking at a longer road and looking at a gap year or even just trying to finish up senior year somewhere else. So for the families that have been impacted, please make sure that you take care of yourself first and we don't have to worry about some of these deadlines and maybe we'll think about some some deferred admission later on. You're listening to The Process on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Our number is 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. We'd love to hear from you. And here we are in the Wharton School, and some of our listeners may have listened to and tuned in to Knowledge at Wharton, both here with Dan Loney's show, but then also there's a website, Knowledge at Wharton High School. And I'm not sure, Eileen, whether you've used this as a resource or not for your students. No, I haven't. Not yet. Well, I think you will tomorrow. Because there you go. we're going to look at some of the questions that are coming through here from Knowledge at Wharton High School. And I think it really does fit in to set us up for some of our guests later on, like Scott Anderson from the Common Application, as well as Liz Plachette, who's going to be joining us from the Latin School of Chicago, another college counselor. So we have great resources for you today to learn more about the college admission process. There are some interesting questions, though, and I think this is one that all three of us can really join in on, David, with your experiences when you were at Columbia. Certainly, Eileen, from your, your perch at the Dwight Englewood School, is how do colleges differentiate among high schools? So a question I'd ask you, Eileen, when you think about the high school profile, and for the families and listeners, you should be familiar with what the high school profile looks like. This is information that is sent with every college application to the admission offices. So you want to see how the school is being positioned. It's almost the high school resume. When you think about that, Eileen, what do you consider? Well, when I was on your side of the desk and reading applications, that was one of the first things I would turn to. At both Barnard and NYU, correct? Exactly. Thanks for saying that, Eric. Um, So, yeah, but that was fundamental to my being able to contextualize a transcript. I mean, a transcript is just that. It's it's the school profile that gives me the roadmap as to uh, understanding what courses are available to a student. And then I would be able to say, okay, how did a student take advantage of what was available to him or her? And we make sure in our college knowledge course at Dwight Inglewood that we show the students a copy of that year, so junior year, profile and let them know that we update this every year. That's right. We make sure that whoever is going to be reading your application has access to this. So we post it on our website as a school, but also it is accompanied with every transcript that we send out. 
David, when you think about the work that you have with Access Applied and also when you work with some clients, how do you see, what's the knowledge base that they actually have about their own high school? Well, it's interesting, you know, given the fact that so many high schools don't rank right now, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, you know that, that, that's part of it. That's where the school profile, you know, comes in quite a bit. And, you know, students are often trying to compare themselves in informal hallway type ways against the competition internally from the school. And uh, it's interesting because, as Eileen just said, that's happening on the other side of the desk is there's, you know, there's not a strict ranking anymore. So you are trying to, you know, figure out what student A looks like relative to uh, student B. And the students worry about that uh, as much as anyone else. But Eric, maybe you can answer this or, or clarify this. So when I'm working with a family, I never say, you know, Billy isn't put head to head with Mikey. Um, but rather, how has Billy availed himself of what's, a, you know, here at Dwight Angwood versus another student? So because I think that level of competition just adds to the frenzy. To the stress. Um, and, you know, I remember being in admissions committees where if we had two or three phenomenally qualified applicants that we just thought would be great additions to our institution, we might have a clean sweep and take all three. And in other years, perhaps not that much. <laughs> but that's something that I think happens every year, and it's contextualized every year. It's a great point, but it's not obvious to the students no. who, are, who are so stressed about this, and, and they don't have all the information either, and they look backwards at decisions that they might not be able to understand because they don't have the full application right. in front of them, so they, right. they, they misread the situation and stress. Well, when we think about so many of the changes that have happened in the college application process, I think one of the positive things that has taken place is that schools have moved away from class rank. In Penn's applicant pool and admitted class each year, maybe 35 to 40 percent of our students actually attend a school that will rank. And those schools that do rank, it's usually because of state law coming from Texas mm-hmm. and 10 percent plan and pieces like that where that data needs to be needs to be you know, available to the college admission offices. I also think about the New York Times article that just this past weekend about student stress overall. And I hope for our listeners, particularly the parents, and as you listen to rebroadcasts with your children and go to the podcast, which will be posted on my blog page, 217.org, that you could really have this sense that those hallway conversations and cocktail party conversations can become really dangerous. Johnny's taking four AP courses or is going to take that fifth course. I was just in London and students that are pushing with their A-level courses. We need to make sure that we're putting some parameters around this. I love when high schools through the profile, communicate to colleges that they may put an upper cap on the number of advanced level mm-hmm. courses that a student yep. is allowed to take. And we do, do, do that do, at Dwayne Angwood, yeah. yeah. We, and what we, is that cap? Um, typically not more than four concurrent okay. honors and AP courses. Okay. Um, and, and that's a, another thing that we can cite in our counselor letter, right? Because we're hope, hoping that we can add that context as well and why a student might differentiate themselves through the curriculum choices that they've made through high school. That's important context. I remember going through this as a parent uh, not too many years ago when my student was in high school. And you really have to step back and worry about the basics, sleep, yeah. you, know, you, know, sleep you know, getting enough sleep when, when you're in high school and, and not uh, putting the academic pressure on yourself to take five APs. Right. And, uh, and where's and that sleep. sweet spot, right. right, like where they can really perform with strength? At what level does that start to impinge and, and start to affect their overall ability to perform across many different disciplines? And maybe when we go to the last quarter on the hour, when we turn the tables on the dean, you can refute whether I'm saying things that maybe I'm saying philosophically, but in practice, what does it really look like? Because mm-hmm. I do think we have to match our words 
and not not let those words just be rhetoric, but really match our actions with those words. And we see the stresses when students are on our college campuses as well. So as we're discussing how to differentiate yourself in the college application process here on the process on Sirius XM Radio, it doesn't mean more. This doesn't have to mean that what else do I need to do to differentiate myself by doing X percent more of either a class, an extracurricular activity? And so I, I think we have to keep that in mind. I quite often describe extracurricular activities. And again, you can call me out on this. But as I think about this as a lens through a, a, a parent of young children is in, in the extracurricular realm, you want your son or daughter to I want them to be competitive in something, something that they have that fire for, that desire for, and they're going to go for it. Mm -hmm. And whatever that is, and that could be in any realm, that could be athletics, that could be student newspaper, that could be government, that could be civic engagement, that could be anything that, boy, I really feel like that's what I really am, am motivated by. A second piece that I think helps balance that is and I think of my young son who is kind of the jock, you know, always wearing the shorts and is like always, you know, running around and and wanting to compete. I love when I saw him standing up there with the school choir and he wasn't the one that was expected to win the game. He wasn't the one that had to step up to the plate, both literally and figuratively. So, you know, here he was just enjoying singing his little lungs out while he didn't have to be that person. And mm-hmm. I think as we think about extracurriculars and not just trying to fill up lines on an application, what is it that we can do? The third piece here, and again, I'm not quite sure, I'm just formulating this, is there's going to be a third aspect to a child that I would put around family and opportunities over the weekend and rest and recharging. And that could come out in some other ways, too, because you are doing something in public service, perhaps, or you're doing something that's giving you this broader awareness than those things that are so present in front of you all the time. I don't know. Maybe it'll be a blog post at some point. I'm kind of formulating some ideas right. around that. Well, how, there, how there, do you there's see always been that, you know, I think parental concern, am I over-programming my child? And I don't think that's, you know, endemic right. just to the college application process. I think right. that starts earlier and, you know, you know, when do you start the violin, ballet, karate, whatever, right. okay? What I always tell students is find something that you really enjoy and run with it. Yeah, that's right. You know, be good at it. Thrive in it. Um, And it's okay for people to look at you sometimes to say, okay, this is the place where I do expect you to excel or step up. Or at least try, right? (laughs) And show that level of commitment. They can't all be, you know, the number one. But what have they gained as a result of that? Maybe they've gained a capacity um, to deal with uncertainty or failure. I mean, that's a huge life skill that they will be employing. Which is actually an essay prompt, so we can even think about that. Right. Um, But um, one of the other things is I've seen a shift from where I sit where I would say maybe 15 years ago or so, um, and call me on this, David, if you agree or disagree, um, the well-rounded applicant seemed to be like, ah, the one that everyone was talking about, so well-rounded. I think pointy applicants are, are really interesting people, too, those that aren't necessarily well-rounded but have an area of expertise or passion. Well, I think there's always been the push and pull between quality and quantity. Absolutely. Right? And I think you're exactly right that you know, 15, 20 years ago, the, um, the emphasis was on that well-rounded applicant, the, the student who did a number of different things. And now I think it's, it's shifted a little bit, and, and, and colleges, I think, are looking for some, some more pointy applicants. Maybe mm-hmm. they're looking for a more well-rounded class of students that have one or two passions or, or, or maybe three. And, 
And what, what I like to do whenever I'm asked the question, we're always asked the question, you know, what should I do, X or Y or Z? The, the most important thing to do is to, to step back <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> from the craziness of the college application process and, and don't answer the question in terms of what you want to do, not what you think is going to play well right. on a future college application. Absolutely. You're listening to The Process on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. I'm your host, Eric Furta, here with my co-host, Eileen Cunningham-Fikens, and my good friend and financial aid expert, David Charlo from Access Applied, here from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania. If you're a parent or a student and have a question about financial aid or a general application question, hey, we're here for the next 45 minutes to help you, right? 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I'm thrilled right now to welcome by the phone to the next the next guest on our show. Scott Anderson is with the Common Application. He is the Senior Director for Access and Education at the Com- Common Application and brings over 20 years of college admission experience to the leadership of the Common App. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure, Eric. Great to talk to you. Are, are you in Arlington or are you out on the road elsewhere? I am in Arlington, Virginia today, the headquarters of the Common App. Well, send everyone my best from Philadelphia. I will do that. Scott, so as we think about the Common App, about how many members are on the Common App right now? And just give our listeners kind of a a, a look at the opportunities through the Common Application so students can differentiate themselves. Sure. Uh, This year, we have over 750 member colleges and universities in the Common Application, and they represent uh, the full range of diversity of four-year higher education in America, public and private, uh, urban, rural, religious, secular, every every uh, variety that you can that you can think of. Uh, but the one thing that they have in common is the Common App and the desire to learn as much as they can about their applicants, so that they can make informed admission decisions on these students who are looking to join their campus communities. Um, and I think students have more opportunities than they realize to differentiate differentiate themselves in the uh, through the Common Application. Uh, for their for their colleges, some things are, are I think low hanging fruit and come to mind. You know, things like the the essay and the activity section, or the additional information section. Some of the questions that the colleges themselves might ask. But there's other information that the Common App asks for that helps round out a picture of who a student is without their even thinking about it. So things like, you know, tell us about your family. Um, did your parents go to college? Uh, do you have any siblings? Did they go to college? Do you speak languages other than English at home? Uh, all of those kinds of things really help round out the picture of the students so colleges can make those informed admission decisions. And I think it's so important, as you point out, Scott, just the range of institutions that the Common Application serves through its membership. And then, therefore, for our listeners, just thinking about really a wide range of institutions. We have a call from New Mexico. Vernon, uh, could you please let us know what your question is? And welcome to the process. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, my question is, how does the process differentiate between, um, you know, a public school uh, student versus an online or a charter school student? My my uh, my son went to an online school and he he didn't have any problem getting in. But I I was always wondering about that. Is there is there a difference that the colleges look at online students or, or charter students different? 
That's that's a great question, Vernon. Thank you for that question. And I think we could all add, add some perspective on this. And Scott, you're still staying on the line. So help us out here as well, if you like. So I was recently at a conference and we were discussing just the range of secondary school educational opportunities and just how dynamic that has been with the charter schools, but then also online high schools as well. Many times a student will take some courses through an online school while also having maybe more of a quote-unquote traditional residential experience too or, you know, on, on a campus for, for their high school experience. Here, Vernon, is really what we need to think about, and this is a word that we hear quite often in the college process, context, mm-hmm. background, family situation. There isn't one size fits all here. While we want to understand what else is going into that student's educational experience, honestly, some courses online could be much more rigorous than anything else that is offered in that student's school. So that's a way for them to go even well beyond what is provided in their bricks and mortar school. The charter school network, so many opportunities there, certainly alive and well here in Philadelphia. I was traveling in New York City as well and met with the, the, the head of the Success Academies, Eva Moskowitz. You know, within each area, you're going to have some choices, hopefully, and then you really need to take a look at what's best for, for your child. And finally, I would say and add that from the high school side, communicating to the college side, We just want to understand what the student's experience was like. And I do think sometimes through an online school that a that the student and maybe even the parent has a little more responsibility to add some context and perspective. Some of my colleagues may 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 chime in as well. But Vernon, thank you for the call. I'd just like to add it. What we haven't talked about is homeschooled students. And when I think of online opportunities for students, I often see some co, you know, like some Venn diagramming of that with students who are homeschooled. And I think what you said is absolutely appropriate, Eric. I think um, the student and the family really needs to uh, to explain um, why those choices were made. Um, it could be a question of physical geography That's and right. availability. But, you know, getting back, Scott, I know you're still on the line. Here's an opportunity. Where do you think a student would best present that information through the Common App? Sure. Well, the education section of the common application uh, collects the, the background information from the student about what schools they've attended and if they've done coursework outside of a traditional high school setting. But I think perhaps one of the other areas that a student can take advantage of in this arena is the additional information section. Perfect. Um, we've got uh, this extra section on, on the Common App that's used by some students and not by others. And the way we frame it for, for students is, you know, look, if there's, if there's anything you feel like the application hasn't let you communicate, here's an opportunity for you to do that. And so for students who are taking advantage of these uh, non-traditional kinds of educational settings, the uh, additional information section, I think, would afford a perfect opportunity for them to share that experience. That's useful information. Thanks, Scott, because I think that for my students that I work with, they're not even quite sure how to approach that additional information section unless there is something either, you know, the the family has gone through something catastrophic um, or perhaps they have a learning difference and they don't want to speak about that in their essay. They use that additional information right. se- section. Um, how does How is that viewed on your end, Eric? Well, I, I see all of this as opportunities for students. And you, I think part of the pressure is you don't always have to feel like you have to fill out the lines, okay. like an additional information section or even extracurriculars, as I stated before. But I also feel, and I really like the point that you made, Eileen, is that 
you don't have to feel that every piece of information that you want to share has to come through an essay. Right. Because then I think the essay becomes almost this, I don't know, you're trying to cover way too much within the space of, of, of what is that essay. So I do think that the common application, it, the additional information section is really the best place to add in contextual pieces. Well, I think the, the application really is, is like a puzzle. And you have different pieces to fit together to to tell your your story, to build your narrative. And the additional information box is one of those places. And the teacher rex is another, and the counselor rec is another, and the essay is another, and the transcript is another. That's right. And they, all these pieces kind of connect into each other. So here's a question. Do we have any data on what percentage of the students using the common application avail themselves of that additional information section? Well, that is a data point I wish I had at my fingertips, and I, I just uh, don't. Um, one of the things I will say, though, is that students um, can tailor that addi- additional information section to different schools if they wanted to. So it would be possible Oh, interesting. For, I didn't know that. I didn't yeah, know that either. Yeah, um, you, because you're submitting one application to one college. If, uh, if I were applying to um, Penn and I had a, a lengthy uh, family history with uh, Penn or, or relatives who would work there or something like that, I wanted to communicate that to Penn, I could use the additional information section for that. And then when I went to submit to the next college, um, I could just wipe that all out and leave that additional information section uh, blank. So it's entirely possible. Did not know that. We're all looking at each other Scott, we're going to drop the mic right now really because excited. we all just learned it. Boom. <laughs> Show's done. Well, I don't know why anybody would want to play anywhere other than Penn. <laughs> all good. 750 other great right. schools on the Common App. So, you know, as we think about this, Scott, the, the questions I usually receive are around the college essay. And I know Eileen gets that question. I know that David gets that question as well. Any pointers to help students think about how to differentiate themselves with the essay prompts? And essay, you know, open topic is back on, topic of your choice. So what are the opportunities here? Sure. And, and I, I would argue that topic of, topic of your choice never, never really went away, even though it wasn't there in, in print. If you, I, I think the one thing that students don't do, and they would do a, a, themselves a great service by, by doing this, is reading the instructions. Because in the instructions, there's a single question. And that question is, what do you want colleges to know about you other than your grades and test scores? And the essay prompts are scaffolding to help students address that single question. Uh, You can approach it from many, many different angles. And the goal of the essay prompts is really to to help students see themselves in the essay somehow. So one prompt may resonate with a student, another one may not. Um, I had the opportunity last week. Last week was PSAT day, right? Yes. And, uh, and, and high schools across the country were trying to figure out what do we do with our seniors on that day. Well, uh, Washington Lee High School, which is right here in Arlington, a couple miles from our office, um, decided to do an essay writing workshop for their, for their students. And they invited some of us from the Common Apps to go over there and, and work with, with students. And I, I had the privilege of reading essays from about 10 or 12 kids. And after I was done reading each one, I looked at the student and I said, now that I've read this, what's the one thing that you want me to know about you mm-hmm. after having read it? And only about half of them could answer that question. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Half, the half that could answer that question had written really good essays. The other half were on a great path, but they needed a little bit more focus, and they needed to understand what they wanted to tell colleges about themselves. So I think there's a tremendous amount of flexibility and opportunity for students to share information about themselves regardless of what prompt they use. 
Well said. (laughs) Scott, thanks for sharing that information. And maybe just a quick 15-second question, if I may. Um, if in speaking with your 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 colleague Leslie Hargraves about when students and families use chat and the other services, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, three sixty five at Common App, do you, are, are those questions? Do they tend to be more technical or are they more college advising or a mix? They they're not generally college advising questions. People who are chatting are usually in the moment trying to work through a certain portion of the application, and it may not be a technical challenge. They may just have a question about what they're trying to do, and they can reach out and contact us instantaneously and get some assistance for whatever they're trying to accomplish. Scott, thank you so much for joining Thanks, us today. Scott. Yeah, you bet. You can follow Scott on Twitter at at Scott, at Scott Common App. And you can follow the Common Application at Common App. I think I just truncated his Twitter account, so just Scott Common App. And also, we're going to take a short break, but please stay with us. We're coming back with Elizabeth Plachette, Director of College Counseling at the Latin School of Chicago. I'm Eric Furta. You're listening to The Process on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Process on Business Radio offering insight and guidance into the college admissions process. Here again is University of Pennsylvania Dean of Admissions, Eric J. Ferda. Welcome back. This is The Process on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Beautiful day on the campus of the University of Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Eric Ferda, continuing my conversation this hour with my partner in the process, co-host Eileen Fikens, the Director of College Counseling at the Dwight Englewood School in Englewood, New Jersey, and also in studios, our financial aid expert from Access Applied, David Charlo. But what we can't wait for is to hear the voice of Elizabeth Plachette, who joins us online. Liz is the Director of College Counseling at the Latin School of Chicago. Liz Plachette, how are you? Hi. Oh Hi. Well. So great to hear your voice. It's been a while, Liz. How is everything for you? It's going great. I miss you. Miss you, too. We'll definitely have to connect when we are in Chicago or Philly or New at York. a conference. New York. <laughs> so, Liz, our topic today is how students and can really think about differentiating themselves in the college application process. We're sitting here in October. know you're working with families at the Latin School of Chicago, thinking about some deadlines that are coming up. But this isn't just about the deadlines. You've been working with them for a couple of of, of years. So maybe to start off, can you talk about your philosophy of college counseling and how you approach your work? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that people throw this uh, word around fit all the time, and Eileen has probably heard it as well. But the reality is uh, if your philosophy isn't centered on what's going to work best for the student and uh, what their aspirations are, matching up, of course, with their talents and where they hope they're learning and their social life will point them in different directions post high school. Uh, you know, they're not, they're, I don't know that they're coming to it with, with the right mindset, but, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe that fit word is overused. I, I was thinking, um, of course, this morning while getting ready that I had this on my plate today to talk to y'all and um, I'm glad you dialed it back a little, Eric, because uh, it's almost disingenuine when kids are approaching deadlines to start to talk to them about authenticity. It's not fair. But that, I think, is the real keyword. It's not really just fit, but it's spending time with students and parents on reflecting on who they're becoming as students, mm-hmm. trying to be real, trying to um, – 
I think, write about or portray a narrative about their interests and their strengths that is honest and realistic. And that starts so much earlier than two weeks before the deadline or even a month before the deadline when kids have to, in a nervous flurry, get things ready for the process. I totally agree with you, Liz, and I'm so glad you raised this. Um, I think it's really important to start that conversation with families as early as sophomore, junior year, because I think it frames how students then research institutions and figure out where they are attracted to to attend or or apply. Let's hope they get in. But um, I, I think that that's crucial to framing their approach to this entire process. Right. The application process is sort of the 11th hour. But the process of becoming someone who's college ready, particularly, you know, at schools like the University of Pennsylvania or highly selective, highly reputable institutions, if you're if you're going to start to think about what looks good and, Mm -hmm. you know, that I say to kids a lot, um, this is not a curation process, right? Like you're not you're not building a museum exhibit and you dust off some artifacts and. Um, shine them up for the colleges and and hope they line up right that this is the I did all the right things in all the right order um, it, it's much more about cultivation and it's much more about parenting and it's a lot about um, trying to pursue the things that matter to you and I think when a kid can write about or talk about what she did and why she did it right uh, it's it, it ends up uh, it's genuine. It has an energy on an application that's so much different than I sort of did all these things because you told me I needed four-year commitments and things, or you told me I should be an athlete, so I was an athlete. But I hated every minute of soccer. Right. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> almost like it happens soccer. organically then. The process exactly. should be organic by the time they're seniors because they have this wealth of experiences from which they're drawing, and it's almost like their own roadmap through Absolutely. adolescence and maturity. Yeah, less motivated by fear and what I what I should be doing and much more about, hey, this is what I really loved doing. And you're going to like it or you're not going to like it, but maybe fill in the selective college X university. Um, you're going to make the right decision either way. And I'm going to be okay with that. Liz, Liz hear, hearing your voice, it's just like there's a big smile on my face, always <laughs> thinking about even when, when you were a college, you're a college counselor now, but when you were an admission officer, you, you approach this as a college counselor as well. And I mm-hmm. think for our listeners to hear these messages from individuals that have been on both sides of the desk, you're yeah. listening to The Process on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. You have two college counselors, one in the studio, one on the phone right now, Liz Plachette from the Latin School of Chicago and Eileen cunningham Fiken from the Dwight Englewood School. Give us a call at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Dane is looking like she's busy in there, but I think she can pull up at BizRadio111 if you want to hit us on our Twitter handle. David Charlo also here from Access Applied. You know, Liz, again, just hearing your voice and talking about this from the perspective of a a true educator, you still get into some tactical questions. Oh, like, yeah. Like, what is the recommended number of colleges I should apply to? <laughs> you know, I mean, these are the questions that you get. How do you approach this, this, this basic question, but also a very important one? 
You know, and keep in mind, I'm really sensitive, too, to the fact that I happen to work at a wonderful institution that is so resourced and always have, right? Um, it's kind of ridiculous. At my school, there are about 40 kids in my caseload every yeah. year. And um, you're able to, to really intimately work with students and, and answer those kinds of nitty-gritty questions. But I know there are many people in your audience who may go to uh, public schools or other institutions that that don't have that kind of uh, intimate attention in the college process. So I wish I could say there's a magic number. I always say to kids, like, what is it that you're trying to accomplish and how much can you handle? Uh, senior year is an exceptionally busy year. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes kids are finally, um, you know, the leaders of things they care about or they're, or, or they're working on making sure that club that they love has some legacy and stays around. <laughs> and so they're, sure. they're trying to cultivate leadership in, in younger classes. So... You want them to be able to still be students in high school and manage this college process at the same time. And I will say in my, over my years in this profession, um, that's become less and less of a healthy prospect for kids. They sort of, the senior year has really sort of been taken over by mm -hmm. the application process. And, and then sometimes you end up with these kids in the second semester who don't even know what their vision is anymore. And they're burnt um, out. Yeah. So... I, I don't know what the magic number is. I, I usually say to families that if you're starting to get in double digits, you're probably starting to have it get out of control for you in terms of the amount of work you can manage. That's the right. common application is definitely a misnomer. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, yeah. it's not so common and it's not so easy. So. Fatigue, the fatigue can set in, particularly as we're talking about these extra supplemental questions. We have a caller, Kara from New Jersey. Welcome to the process. Hi. Um, I just want to say, first off, thank you guys so much for doing this show. Um, I always tune in because it's so helpful. Yay, um, we love thank you. Thank you, Kara. <laughs> oh, nice. No problem. Um, second off, um, well, my question is, uh, how much does the major matter when applying mm. to college? Mm. And um, is it okay to apply as undeclared? Great that's a, question. That's a great question, Kara, because I think particularly in the age that we live right now, that individuals, young people, feel like they have to know what it is that they're going to do. And when I say the age that we live in right now, let's keep in mind that the current applicants, they really experienced the Great, the great Recession. You know, they were around 10 years old, 8 years old in 2008. And so as they're applying in right now, that's been a context. Yeah. And maybe they've seen family lives, you know, kind of go, go, go through that. I'll take this first and then yeah, love to do. go around the table. And, and, and Liz, we'll start with you after I go, given that you're joining us by phone. And that is on the University of Pennsylvania application, particularly within the College of Arts and Sciences, we used to have what was the undeclared or undecided box that a student can check. We further refined that to have undecided broadly, but then also social science undecided, natural science undecided, arts, fine arts undecided, as well as natural science, mathematics. So mm -hmm. we're giving students a little more flexibility if they know they're gravitating towards some type of discipline areas, but not quite sure within that discipline area what it is that they want. I will state on the engineering side, when students apply to Penn Engineering, we tend to expect a little bit more from them in terms of their knowledge base. And given that so many students are applying right now to engineering, particularly with a computer science interest, I do think we push them a little bit more to know why it is that they're interested in that. Liz, when you're working with students at the Latin School of Chicago, what type of advice do you give to them about the major? 
Oh, I think this is a great question, and I think it's a it's a pressing one because I think the climate has shifted a little, not uh, not simply just because of what you just said, Eric. You know, good college counselors, not because they're flaky, often say it depends to their families <laughs> because the reality is if they're well-informed, they, they, they have this landscape where so many schools do it so differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are some colleges out there uh, that really want you to figure out what you want. And back to the authenticity piece, they're going to look to see if you're backing it up. You know, if you apply to the University of Illinois, as a, either a computer science or an engineering major, and it's it's an amazing program, but you don't have anything in your background that speaks to that. You've never you've never done any coding. You didn't spend any summers trying to find an internship at a tech company, and there are plenty here in your hometown in Chicago. Then I have to say to a kid, declaring a major in that instance is going to hurt you. Uh, it may be something you're interested in exploring, but you ought not pick this school where it's put you through the narrowest part of their pipeline. And then I think there are other places, not unlike Penn, that are just trying to get a cloud of what you're exploring or what you're curious about. And then you go all the way to the other extreme where you might be at a small liberal arts college where they don't even have anything remotely pre-professional, career-driven, and their whole hope is that you're going to come and eat from the buffet and that you don't have to declare a thing. So, um, again, this comes down to what are you looking for and what's on your list and and what, what would be the best strategy for the schools that are on your list. Kara, thank you for that call. You're listening to The Process on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. The number is 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Just to piggyback on that question and our response, one thing that I do caution families and students about is don't pick a major because you think that they're looking to fill that program. Interesting. So to declare a major as a measure of strategy, because if I go in as a classics major... They're going to take me. Again, if nothing in your application, not only your extracurricular activities or summer activities speak to that, but even your curriculum. You know, so if you're interested in in a STEM field and you've taken the bare minimum that you can in your high school, although there might be a wealth of opportunities for different courses, electives, or majors um, within the STEM fields, that, that kind of rings hollow, doesn't it? That's right. That's right. Liz, I'd like to ask you a question just about Latin School of Chicago overall. What what grade do you all start in? We start in the pre-kindergarten or what we call here in Chicago the junior kindergarten year. The JK. Okay, the junior yeah. kindergarten. <laughs> so obviously, as we're talking to families and our listeners right now about differentiating oneself in the college application process, this is later on in that continuum of you know pre-K all the way through mm-hmm. 12. What are the opportunities or need, if there is any, for interaction with the 7th and 8th grade families? Maybe not you directly with them, but how much do you communicate with the academic side? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I I always say, particularly within an independent school climate, your, your director of college counseling or your college counseling office, probably second to your head of school, has the broadest view of the constituencies that are coming mm-hmm. in and out of uh, out of that out of that school. So it, if it's not a big picture lens, it, it, you're siloed and you don't really know what's happening, right? The, what's going on in your middle school is often informing the curriculum in your high school. And you can see where there may be bumps or holes moving all along. So I do think that good college counselors have an eye on that, or at least part of the dialogue in their schools. But, you know, 
direct, indirectly related to this, I, I'm I'm going to be talking to my lower school parents in January. It's the first time ever. Really? And, absolutely. And and here's why: because if I don't talk to them, they're going to make up their own minds about what it means to be at a college preparatory school and have a seven-year-old there. And I would rather tell them what I think they should be worried about rather than letting in sort of distorting fears. It's hmm. fantastic. So what do you think they should be concerned about? Well, I think that that parents, and I'm a parent too of young kids, but I, I think too often we're worried about what's on a kid's schedule and we're less worried about how they're managing to respond to failure. Mm-hmm. We're much more worried about whether or not they're... Um, doing the right things or getting their homework correct than we are about how they're managing difficulties in their friendships. And that's not to say that as parents we want to be managing that, but we want to be helping them grow their characters because I do think that this is a distinguishing feature in kids' applications. The students I work with who are able to somehow communicate to colleges that they're aware of more than just themselves are always more successful candidates. I agree. And the lower school kids who are building a resume because they think that this treadmill starts in third grade end up being sort of crispy and fragile and filled with anxiety because they weren't allowed to grow and develop in ways that they should have. So it's strange, right, because lower school kids are going to a college preparatory school. And I would just sort of want to recenter that message this year for the first time. Maybe next year I'll go to the middle school. Okay. Every, every, I'll, I'll go every other year. <laughs> but in the meantime, we want you to stay on the line, Liz, if, it, that's, okay. if that's possible. Fantastic. Liz, th- th- thanks so much. You're going to stay on the line if you have the time. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate your, your insights. You're listening to The Process on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. The number is 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866, at Twitter, at BizRadio111, here from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania. It is that time now. My that, favorite time. That we're going to turn the table on the dean, right? We have a little sound intro now. Nice sound effect, Danielle. I love it. So a lot of what we've talked about today in terms of differentiating oneself, but also kind of how a student approaches the process, has come back. I'm hearing kind of echoes of this um, process over product and authenticity. And instead of over-programming, doing things with intentionality and mindfulness. And I'm going to invite David as well as Liz to join me um, in answer, asking Eric questions that are burning on our minds and hopefully in the minds of our students and families as we work together in this process. So right before I left campus yesterday, um, my principal of the upper school, Joseph Allgrant, um, I said, okay, so Joe, I'm going to turn the table on the dean. What pressing question do you have that you would like me to ask? And he, his response was, when are the colleges going to take responsibility or acknowledge the fact that there is this mad rush, that students are looking at high school almost as a way station on the way to college, and that it's really impinging on their ability to live in the present and to explore who they are and how they do what they do, instead of just focusing on how it's going to be looking for their admission at a particular school. So that's my question, Eric. So... I think in so many ways, you really don't have an experience until you walked in that person's shoes, right? 
And what I love about having Liz on the phone and you here, Eileen, and David in the studio as well is all three of you have sat on different sides of the desk, Mm -hmm. either on the college counseling side and admission side, financial aid side, and also helping families navigate the financial aid process. I stepped out of college admissions in my 30-plus years since I graduated from Penn for four years in the alumni relations realm. So I haven't been on your side of the desk. However, I love sitting down with the heads of school Mm -hmm. because that's when I can talk to individuals and say, okay, you can really wrap your arms around a school community. What time should the the day start? Mm-hmm. When should boys have a break during the day because they're just not going to listen anymore? <laughs> well, you know, what is the structure of the day? What is the structure of the year? And I do feel that you know, sitting within the college admissions side, unless you're the type of admission officer and dean, which I tell my my whole staff, we're here to promote Penn while we're also here to be educators. You have to try to experience the other side as much as possible. So that's when we visit high schools. That's when we're stepping into the communities where the students are. That's when people like me say, and we're parents too, so we are human beings and not just these admission officers. That being said, we have a very specific role in the seat of an admission dean. We are here to enroll a class for this specific institution and the goals of this institution. So that doesn't mean that we can't see each other eye to eye, but I think it is very important for us to communicate what those values are and how we approach our work. And so we have to be able to balance each side of it. I'd love to come up and visit your school or have your head of school come down because I think these are some of the most important, um, these are some of the most important pieces that we can, that we can touch on. We do have a call from Monica in Florida and we'd love to have her ask her question. Monica, welcome to the show. Welcome to the process. Well, thank you for having me. What's your question, Monica? question is about the, the FAFSA form. And just a little context, we are in the construction industry in Florida. And so eight years ago, we were obliterated like everybody else. Um, and I know it's all based on W-2 income, but I am still doing my 2016 taxes at the office. And we got an extension because of the hurricanes that we had. Um, at any rate, I just am wondering, is there a calculator of some sort, a form on a website or anything that I can play with to punch in different numbers before I actually hit send on it? Because we have bought a lot of equipment and we did a computer upgrade. So we had all these costs. I could capitalize them or not. Etc. There's just a lot of decisions that I could make that could make our expected family contribution less. Okay. So that 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 that's a great question. It's actually a couple of great questions. So so first, um, each college, just so you know, um, has on their admissions or financial aid site a a net price calculator. So you can look individually at estimates of of what the college will cost your family, you know, based upon uh, the income and asset and personal information that that you plug in. So it's not so much about what your EFC is on the FAFSA, because this FAFSA EFC is just a number. It's not your expected family contribution. And EFC is estimated family contribution, correct? Well, it's it's an acronym that used to mean estimated family contribution. So it's it's the number produced by the FAFSA that determines your eligibility for need-based aid, and for some colleges, your, your eligibility for, for institutional aid. 
but there's a common misconception out there that this EFC number produced by the FAFSA is this magic number that, that you pay for college. And of course, lower is better than higher, um, but it, it's not it's not the number you're going to pay. So if you're trying to project, you know, you're, you're trying to make business decisions that are going to impact your adjusted gross income on your 2016 taxes, um, you can you know, go and play around with with the with the net price calculators on individual schools. Or there's another um, calculator called the FAFSA Forecaster. Oh, that's interesting. Which okay. which will give you an estimate of your EFC, you know, based upon based upon based upon certain numbers. But don't um, don't overthink it. You know, <laughs> you need to do what's best for your business and personal finances um, without um, putting too much emphasis on what you think will result in bigger discounts. Uh, for college, because in many cases, DFC has nothing to do with your college discounts because the aid, it, it might be merit-based, and more and more the aid is merit-based. So, so be careful about um, repositioning your income and assets and your business taxes if the costs on the other side are, are too high. It's, it's a very complicated uh, topic. And I think, Monica, you can always call the admission or not the admissions, but the financial aid office at what particular college your child might be applying to if you have specific questions about their policy. Monica, thank you for that question. And, and David and Eileen, thank you for, for that information. Just thinking about some of the resources overall, our topic today on the process was about differentiating yourself in the college application process. Liz Plachette, who joined us from the Latin School of Chicago, was talking about authenticity and making sure that what was driving you in terms of your interests academically and otherwise were coming together. Eileen, what's your final word? Give me a 10 seconds. I want students to relax, to focus, and to trust their instincts trust their on instincts. how they are preparing themselves or how they are positioning themselves, how they are sharing their story in their college applications. David? I have to say that I really love uh, Liz's contribution with the word authenticity. Mm-hmm. I think that's just such a better way to talk about things than fit. Fantastic. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Eileen, David, Liz over the phone. For our callers, thank you so much for joining us today. And big thanks to our listeners. We know that we'll be able to share this information with you with some rebroadcasting. And also, I'd love for you to go to my blog, page217.org. The past five shows of the process are on that blog. This is our sixth show. If you have any other questions, please email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. I'm Eric Furta, Dean of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania. You've been listening to The Process on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Have a great afternoon. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.